0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Baron. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Ridgeview, and we're so glad you decided uh, to join us on this beautiful, sunny, hot by 7 a.m. morning. But we're we're thankful to be able to be here indoors with the air conditioned uh, to gather. And we're starting a brand new series uh, today uh, called Rooted, and I'm going to be speaking about how we can be rooted in hope uh, in a moment. But I want to talk a little bit about this study where we're headed because we're going to dig through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible. And the book of Ephesians is actually a letter that's written to uh, the church in Ephesus, but also really the churches that were all in that area in Asia Minor. But for us today, it's also a letter that's really written to us. Uh, Paul is the author, but it's really inspired and given to us from from God himself. And so we're going to be spending the next eight weeks digging into each chapter of this book to really ask the question, what does this mean for us today? With everything that you have going on in your life, uh, everything going on in your family, everything that you've experienced in your past, everything that you're trying to anticipate for your future, uh, you're living right now in the present, trying to make sense of it all. And life can be overwhelming at times. It can be confusing. It can be overbearing. Uh, it can be very difficult. But what we believe here at Ridgeview Church is every time that we come and we gather in God's name, uh, God actually wants to speak to us. We believe that. In fact, we want to take that so seriously that each Sunday where we come and each time during the week, we just ask God that will lead us forward. Give us something that we can actually live by, direct by, and be guided by. And that's what God's Word is designed to do, to instruct us, to help us, to encourage, to correct us. And so over the course of these next eight weeks, my hope and my prayer for us as a church is that God will really make things clear to us, that He will give us clarity, in our inner person, like inner strength, that we'll get a sense that God is speaking to me directly. And that's actually what what God does. And so what I wanna do is I wanna set up uh, the series a little bit to give you a sense of the big context of of where we're headed. And so the book of Ephesians, again, that letter has uh, six chapters to it. And the first three chapters you'll see here on the screen, uh, here's the summary, the first three chapters is why we can dig deep and stand strong. Dig deep and stand strong is really the tagline for this series. How can we as individuals, and then how as we as a church, can we dig deep to actually discover the truth that God has for us, and how does that cause us to stand strong? Well, the book of Ephesians is actually written in a way where it gives you the why before the how or before the what you're supposed to do, and that's actually very helpful. Because without knowing the why, without knowing why you can stand strong, or why you can dig deep and expect truth from God, you, you don't really know what to do. So the why is very important. So we're gonna start with that today. But there's also in Ephesians 4 through 6, again, the how. How we can dig deep and stand strong. So Ephesians 1 through 3, the why. Ephesians 4 through 6, I should say 4, is the how. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack God's word and really ask him, how can we be a people that are rooted? And I wanna talk just for a moment about this concept of being rooted. And if you go back to that title slide where it says, uh, dig deep and stand strong, you'll you'll see the image. The reason I think this topic is so important is because I think we're we're all on a search for a meaning, like a purpose, why we're here. Uh, We experience lack a lot. We experience discontentment. There's things that we hope for in the world. There's things that we hope for in our lives, in our family. And we look at the landscape of all that, and a lot of times, it feels like it's lacking. You guys know what I mean? Just a sense of lack. There's just things that we hope that that aren't there, that haven't happened yet. And life can be very discouraging and disappointing. But we're all in this search for meaning partly because God has made us this way. Humans, all of us, you're human, correct? First question of the day? Good. As a human, you laugh. That's true. That's true. We're humans, we're actually made unique from anything that was created. We're made in God's image. And part of that image is that God has actually put something inside of us where we do search for something more. We search for a greater meaning and a purpose more than any other thing that's created. So that makes us unique. We're made in God's image for this search to really know him. And what God wants to do is he makes himself known to us so we can know him. But what happens in life is in that search and in that longing, we can look in lots of different places, And this idea of rooted, you can see uh, this tree has deep roots. And the deeper the root and the stronger they are, the greater the tree will grow. But that's not a lot of what I see in this life. I look in the mirror. That's not a lot of what I see in my own life at times. I was doing gardening this past week, and how many of you have ever experienced weeds? Right? No matter how much you work on weeds on one day, what happens the next week? they, They come back. And weeds have a way of of mocking us. Have you ever thought about that? Like they stand really tall and they're ugly. Sometimes they're pretty and you're like, oh, it's a plant. You're like, no, I think that's a weed. I was just deceiving myself. But what you notice with weeds is most of the time when you try to pull a weed, if you go right to the bottom, you will pull the whole root out. Why? Because weeds actually have very shallow roots. Here's a picture of a weed that I pulled from my own garden. That's just proof that I do occasionally do that. But look at those roots. You can see them, but what do you notice about them? They're very thin, and they're short, so very easy to pull out. Now, I think for so many of us, we have these types of roots. We stand strong, we stand tall, and we have a lot of external appearances of life together. But when you dig deep into what's actually going on inside of us, uh, it looks a lot like that. There's not a lot to show for it. It's shallow, but we still want to stand strong. And this is what you see in the world. People who are trying externally to appear like they have it all together, but, but they don't have the roots to support it. And so there's an emptiness. It's all for show. It's all external. You guys know what I mean? This is actually pervasive in our culture. Make sure you have it all together. Make sure you appear like you have it all together. But when you pull it up to see what's under the surface, there's not much there. So that's one. We long to be rooted, but we find ourselves in the weeds. The second... Is also from my own yard. This is just like get to know Alex's landscaping, okay? Uh, This is a tree in my front yard. Now, these roots are actually thick, and they're long, and they're there. But what do you notice about the roots? They're above the surface. Very interesting. Yesterday, I had a tree trimmer come and actually trim the tree, and I asked them, and I said, like, why is the roots doing that? And he said, actually, the tree was not planted deep enough. And so the roots just are scattered and searching for nutrients, but because they weren't deep enough into the soil, the roots didn't go down. They just went scattered. They went out. And I thought, I think this is another thing that we experience in life. We have some roots, whether it's our family or whether it's our relationship with God, we have these roots, but we keep looking for the source of nutrients. Like we're not getting it from God. We're not getting it from the right source. And so we keep scattered looking for it. And as I'm talking to him, like the news wasn't good. He's like, yeah, it's going to it's going to fall over. And that was after he had just trimmed it. And I was like, well, should I just pushed it? And this saved us all time and money. But I thought that was very interesting. It just didn't go deep enough. And I think that's a, really the challenge for us today in the church, the challenge for us in life is will we be Christians that move beyond just the external of trying to appear like we have it all together? And if you're not a follower of Christ, will you stop chasing that illusion? And will you stop scattering the roots, trying to find something to give you sustenance and life? And will you actually dig deep into God himself? It's really a call and a challenge for all of us. And so over the course of this series, we're going to keep asking the question, how can we be people who are rooted to dig deep and to stand strong? So I want to dig in. And before I do that, I want to give a plug for something. Uh, we shared this on social media, and we sent this uh, on an email. If you don't follow us on social media, I encourage you to do that, Ridgeview Church. You can look for us on Facebook and on uh, Instagram and all the, those handles, okay? Um, but this is an illuminated scripture journal, uh, the ESV. This is the English standard version. You can buy this on Amazon. I think it's $5.99, and I encourage you to invest in this book over the course of this series. What this is, is this is the letter to the church in Ephesus, and that's it. And what you find is that on each page is the scriptures, and then on the other page is a blank space. Now, why a blank space? Why not just save paper? Well, a blank space is to actually take notes, to reflect on, to learn, to, to, to draw some insights. And so since we're going to be spending some time looking at how we can be rooted. I encourage you to make an investment. Uh, You can buy this on Amazon. It will be here within two days. If you have Prime, you can even get it tomorrow. Or you can go to a store and try to find it. I'm sure stores have them too, right? But I encourage you, spend some time and spend some money in this. And if you do get it, bring this with you every Sunday. And so over the course of the eight weeks, our hope is that you can fill this with insights and God speaking to you. And at the end of it, you'll have a journal full of things that God wants to speak to you about and help you with in your life. And so there's a plug. I'll talk about that uh, some more. So what I want to do is we're going to spend time this morning digging into the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 1 through 23. And I'm going to kind of read it all together at once and then unpack each section. And so you'll be able to follow along also uh, on the screen, but then in your program is a paper that looks like this. Go ahead and open your program. I'm just giving you a little housekeeping right now before we dig in. Uh, each week, I don't know if you knew this, but we have the, the outline of what the speaker is going to be talking about. This is to help you track. Uh, also, on our church center, which Ali mentioned, there's the notes every week as well. It gets updated every week. It's electronically. If you're like one of those, what's paper and how do I write on it? It is electronically on the church center app. You just search Ridgeview Church, connect it, and you'll have it from here on out. But uh, for this series, the scriptures will be on here. So the back page of this is the whole first chapter of the book of Ephesians. This is, in case you don't have a Bible... You can pick one at the Next Step table, but it's also right here for for you to read and you can follow along. So what I wanna do is I wanna read it. And just before I do, I wanna set up a little bit of the context of who the author is. The author is Paul. We talk a lot about Paul here at Ridgeview Church. Why? Because he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was uh, Jewish. He was a persecutor of the church. He was trying to squash the Christian movement. And then God called him to become an apostle. He was gonna be one that would start churches and really further the spread of Christianity in the first century world. And God did that. God used Paul for that to happen. And the spread of Christianity has happened throughout the entire globe. And a lot of it's connected to the early work and God using Paul. And so as Christianity is getting started, Paul is writing these letters to churches that he's helped start, teaming with others, and he writes them encouragement. Now these letters were were priceless. Um, It's not like the email that we have today where it just gets cluttered and junked in our email account. But these were letters that the church received and took it seriously. This is God speaking to us. This is instruction. This is help. Uh, We need to really cling to this. And he's actually writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, which is like modern-day Turkey area. Uh, He's writing them while he's in prison. Now, the thing about Paul is because he was the spread of Christianity and so many in authority of that time were very uh, just unsure of this movement and just questioned it and didn't want it to, to advance. He, he was imprisoned falsely, falsely accused, and he was imprisoned for for two years. You read that and you are like, "That's man, that's crazy!" But could you imagine falsely imprisoned for for two years? And then after that, he was actually on house arrest uh, in Rome, and so he experienced imprisonment, persecution, all the sorts. But he was used by God to, to give us this, this insight. So that's a little bit about Paul. Now, the church in Ephesus uh, is in Asia Minor, it, and it was one of the great capitals of the day. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, as I was researching about Ephesus, it reminded me a lot about our state, California. Great economy. Now, you can, like, decide how true that is. Harbor, uh, trade went through there. Um, there was also a huge presence of this cult worship, this temple of Diana, which is linked to the Greek mythology, and it had this just great pull to worship false gods. So there's this affluence, big people seeking spirituality but seeking it out in all the wrong places, and all this is happening in this time. And the church is rising up. They're gaining influence. People's lives are beginning to get changed in the middle of all that's happening and so Paul's intent is not just to give this to this church in the city of Ephesus, but the intent was, and what happened, many scholars believe that this letter was given and then it was spread and shared among all the churches. So if you can imagine, it wouldn't look of anything like this, but it was like Paul wrote this. God is speaking to us. Our church has read it, and we want your church to read it. And, and the word just spread, and you know, they were just sending news, hey, we want to read that too. And this just letter was spreading all around the area to hear this instruction, to hear this truth so that their lives could be changed with the revelation of God. The reason I set this up is it is true for us today. It's the same. It's being spread, and here we are, and we have an opportunity to read it. Now, sometimes you talk about the Scriptures, and it's like, oh, it's just kind of boring. It's hard to understand. But if you could imagine, if you see it as life-giving, And if you see it as truth that can only be known by reading the words that you read, you you begin to see it differently. And so no matter where you are, if you've spent time reading God's word or you haven't or you love it or you're not sure about it, if you're confused by it, wherever you are, what I ask you is is be open and allow God to speak to you through it. Allow his words to kind of get into your, your heart. And sometimes the more you read scripture, it's easy to just trail off and get distracted. How many of you have already been distracted today? I close my eyes, I don't even want to know, right? But all of us, we get distracted. But what if, for this moment, right here and right now, God really did want to speak to you in a specific way? That if you weren't here, you wouldn't hear it. What if God wanted to do that? You start to think, well, this is really important. What we're doing here, this is actually really valid. So let's dig in. God's Word, Ephesians 1, you already see it here. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, keep going. I'm going to go through this quick. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he is blessed us in the beloved. Now, written a little different, right? In fact, verses 3 through 14 is one sentence in the original Greek. I mean, I have a hard time like saying anything that has a lot of substance, it seems like. Yeah, like just feel it and do it. But Paul is like, this is rich with so many ideas. Okay, go to verse 7. who were, his, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm out of breath just reading this. This is one sentence. Keep going. Verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now It switches. For this reason, everything I've said so far, verses 3 through 14, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Keep going. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, verse 18, if this is like a a college paper, if this chapter is giving us, verse 18 is like the thesis. It all hinges before and after on this statement. So I just want to read that again. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So everything we've talked about so far in this book, everything Paul's described, he's saying, so that. What your hearts, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory and inheritance to the saints. Okay, go to verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he's talking about the power, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter one. Good job. Ephesians chapter one. There's a lot to that. God's word is very unique. In that one chapter, there is so much Christian doctrine. There are so many promises But at the center, and what you want to do is you read the scripture, you want to keep asking yourself, what are some reoccurring themes? The reason we're going through this is I want to also spend time as a church. How do we read God's word? How do we actually soak it in for ourselves? The reason I'm having you do this and get this and invest in this is because if you invest this in your own life and spend a resource to journal and read it, God will speak to you far beyond any pastor who could ever spend time with you on a Sunday morning. God's word is not just supposed to be heard from somebody else. You have to read it, you have to soak it in. And so one of the things you want to do is you're reading God's word, whether you're new to it or you're experienced with it is what are some reoccurring themes? What are some words that keep showing up again and again? And certainly the word blessing, right? Keeps coming up again and again. And what I want to do is that's where I want to start. I want to start how we can be rooted and how we can have hope because of the blessings that we've been given. And this is really the first point. And that is this, for hope to last for you and for me, we need eternal blessings over earthly pleasure. We need something that's connected to forever versus just what we chase here and now that doesn't last. This is the tension of our world. People that are seeking something that lasts forever versus people that think this is it. If you think this life is all you have and you don't go on to forever, then you really do approach this world differently. You're trying to suck as much life out of this as you can. You're gonna get so disappointed because if this is all you have, what do you do with discouragement? If this is all you have, what do you do with suffering and hard things? But if you realize there's something eternal that God's blessing us with that goes on the here and now into forever, into eternity, it actually helps you make sense out of life. So It's very interesting. Something eternal that goes on helps us make sense out of temporary, which is now. And that's this reoccurring theme that Paul's trying to get us. So let's start with, with the blessings. And what's interesting in this first chapter, again, we talked about Christian doctrine. Have you ever heard of the doctrine of the Trinity? Anyone? Yeah. It's confusing. The idea is there's three persons in one God, the triune, three in one. But what Paul does in this first chapter, he actually unfolds the blessings that you get from God the Father, from Christ the Son, and from the Holy Spirit. So he's unpacking these these roles in this person of God, three in one, and how they bless. So let's start with blessings from God the Father. And you see this in verses three through six. And I'm not gonna spend the whole time reading it, but I just wanna highlight it. It's first, here's the blessings. He, he He has chosen us. What this means is God has taken initiative to uh, know us, to love us. He's chosen us. He has a plan for us. And there's nothing that we can do that can prevent this from happening. And so one of the hard things as you start talking about uh, this idea of God choosing is w- what about free will and freedom? And, and it can get very confusing. But what Paul is saying is that God, in his infinite wisdom and in his greatness, and because of the fact that He's God and there's no one like him, He had a plan for you before you were ever born. How can that be? He's God. And he determined it so. God, in fact, knew that you would be here right now. He knew where you would live. He knew the time in which you would live. That's what the scriptures tell us. And God also chooses us, he initiates, he loves us, he wants a relationship with us, and that's of his doing. He initiates and and we can respond. And so Paul just starts with this sense of he's drawing us to himself. He chooses us, he pursues us, he takes initiative. And what you find as you dig further and further in the scriptures is that we have freedom and we have free will, but there's also so much that we cannot do to earn God's favor. And that's why him choosing us is so helpful. Because if everything of our relationship to God was based on us, what we believe, what we do, what we think, how we perform, it's very easy to get in the performance mindset, right? What do I need to do to please other people? What do I need to do to please God? Well, there's nothing you can do. And that's why he chose you and you did not choose him in the sense he, from eternity, from forever, is drawing you to him. It's far greater than we can even fully understand. But God has chosen us for his plan and for his purposes. The second that you find in verse five is that he's adopted us. So this choosing and this plan that he has is not just a distance. God is some presence of power in a distant galaxy. That's far away, but it's actually something related to family. He's chosen you, and then if you're a follower of Christ and you've surrendered your life, He He's actually adopted you. you. You're a part of his family's you're a part of his, his family and, and there's a this love that exists. And that's what Paul's trying to get. Ephesians chapter one. God's chosen you out of his love. He's adopted you out of his love. There's something unique to your life. And there's something unique to my life. And there's something unique to us as a church as we come together. We're coming as people chosen and adopted for God's specific purposes. That gives meaning to life. It's not just by chance. It's not meaningless. There's something more. And then Paul goes on and he, he says not only has he chosen and he's adopted, he's he's accepted. And so the idea is this adoption is is you are family and you are valued and there's nothing that you can do that can change that. You're adopted as God's son and as his daughter and part of that is being accepted. You're accepted by God, you have a new identity. I don't know about you, it's, it's easy to just kind of gloss that over or take that for granted, but think about the almighty God, the creator, who has always existed and always will He's decided that humans would be made in his image in a special way and that he would have a special relationship with them that doesn't exist anywhere else. The value of life is immeasurable because of that. And not only that, it's not just formulaic. It's not just transactional. It's rooted in this deep love as a father loves his kids, accepts them, adopts them, initiates with them. And Paul is setting the tone. These are some of the blessings that you have when you decide to follow Christ. When you give your life to him and you're a part of God's family, you have blessings from the Father. But he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on and he shares the blessings from Christ the Son. And the idea is God is holy and he's blameless and he's chosen us from the beginning of the world. But I don't know if you knew this, you may not have, but there's a problem in the world because so far everything I'm reading, you're just like, yeah, this is great this sounds like some sort of utopia, right? Like it can't be real because I don't feel accepted a lot. I don't feel chosen. I feel lost. I feel confused. I feel down. Well, part of what happened was is that God created us in his image so we'd seek him and the original man and woman, Adam and Eve, they did what? They, they sinned. And so this choosing and this initiative, all of us decided like, well, thanks for your acceptance. Thanks for your adoption. Thanks for choosing, but... I don't care. I really want things on my own terms. And we've been dealing with that throughout history, throughout our existence. And we all wrestle with that. It's, we we want to lead our own life. And the created wants to become like the creator. Like we want to rule like God. We want to be like God and determine all of the shots for our own life. And so this holy and blameless God that's chosen us, accepted us, has a plan for us. We rebelled and sin now has separated. That's the problem in our world, sin. We think we know better. We think we can do better. And we don't say that, but we do that by our actions because God tells us something and we do the opposite. So how could a homely and blameless God that's done all this for us, how could there be a relationship now that we're sinful and we're broken and we're no longer holy? Well, this is what Paul explains. You're not just blessed by God the Father, from this like predetermined thing that now is lost and broken. Throughout God's plan, he sent his son. So even in our rebellion and even in our sin and even when we wanna do things our own way, God is still working out a way for us to come back to him. And so Paul is like, the church, you have to get this. You have to understand that this love that God has for you, nothing, absolutely nothing can stop it. These roots are endless and they run deep and there's nothing you can do to to uproot them. And so here's what the scriptures say. The first, the blessing from Christ is that he has redeemed us. Uh, Redemption is literally you've been released from the penalty of your sin. If you know the scriptures, the penalty of sin is what? Death. So sometimes if you're around the church, it's like, man, they sing a lot about dying and Christ dying and people dying. And it's like, that's like PG-13 going on in that church, at least. Well, part of it is, it's back to justice and holiness. And anytime there's a sin, there's an offense that must be accounted for. But the cost of sin is, is death. And that's why in the Old Testament, if you've read that and you're like, why is there all this sacrifice and blood spilling? And it can be graphic as well. And that's because for every sin, a sacrifice had to be made. And there's a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Every sin from the father, from the people of Israel, or for the family, for the children, like there was this animal sacrifice to pay the penalty of that sin, the death, something pure. But again, because of our own human hearts and our own rebellion, there's not enough animals to sacrifice to pay the penalty for it. We keep on sinning. So God knew that there was still this separation, so he sent... Jesus to redeem us. That is, once and for all, the penalty was paid forever. Why? Because God himself in the person of Jesus died for us. His blood was spilled. And we can have redemption. So the idea of redemption is you're in chains and the chains have been released. And you now have freedom. And Paul goes on, not only... Have we been redeemed, but we've been forgiven. The chains are broken and we've been forgiven completely. And not only that, but we've been given true riches. And the true riches in the scriptures in verse seven describe full grace. Grace is unmerited favor, meaning there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. I don't know about you, that's really hard. Why is that really hard? Because oftentimes we want it on our own terms, like we're doing good enough for God to be happy with us. We're doing enough in the church. We're doing enough in our family. We're trying to be good people that God should be okay with us. And it's this idea of we're just trying to tip the scales so God's okay. What you find is there's no way you can pay for your sin because the penalty again is is death. And we're not pure enough to die like this sacrificial lamb. That's why Christ came. He did not sin, but he died for us. And so this forgiveness is, again, that the sin has been sent away. doesn't mean you didn't sin, but it means that Christ came to forgive it, to wipe it away. This is true riches. Think about what that means for your guilt and for your own shame and for your own struggles. If this is real, the chains can be broken in your life. The chains can be broken in your family, generations of sin that have stained your life and your family's life, whether it's divorce, whether it's hate, whether it's anger, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, you can experience forgiveness. There are no riches and no roots which compare to what Paul's describing for what Christ has done. He's forgiven us, he's redeemed us. And then verse eight through 10, I wanna just read this briefly because it's so helpful. Verse eight through 10 tells us that he also reveals his will. It says, which he lavished upon us. So this is the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. So God has been working out a plan for your life that you don't fully understand. You ever asked yourself, I don't know where God is in this? You ever asked yourself that? I don't know what God has for me in this? What Paul is saying is actually, when you decide to follow Christ and you give your whole life to him, part of the blessings that you get is as you walk with God, Christ will reveal God's will for you. So far, we've been talking about just our own problems, our own stuff, our junk that God forgives. But then it goes further. You then get direction. You're not just freed from what you've done or what your family has done. You now have clarity on your future. You have new meaning, you have new direction. This is powerful. Because Christ reveals God's will. And then, verse 11 and 12 we've been given an inheritance. And this is describing eternal life. And so this is from God the Father, the acceptance, the adoption, and then from Christ revealing his will, redemption, and forgiveness. And then it goes further. Blessings from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to move really quickly. Verses 13 through 14. So now we have God the Father, we have Christ the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures say that, that he has sealed us in verse 13. Now, this is really interesting because it's like, well, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit has sealed us? Well, To the writers in the first century, they all understood the seal, especially of the Roman Empire. It looked a lot like this. And the idea is you'd have uh, Caesar on the seal, and everything that the seal was on was like official. This is official. This news belongs to Caesar, which belongs to Rome and its power. And so when Paul is saying Christ has sealed you, he's saying you belong to God. How do you know that? because when you decide to follow him, you give your life to him, God himself, through his Holy Spirit, lives in you. And that's how you know. You now have the Holy Spirit which convicts you, helps you, gives you words when you don't know what to say, guides you, comforts you, God himself, the seal, we belong to him. And then Paul goes on, and then he's, the Holy Spirit has secured our inheritance. And so in the Roman world, this would be like a giving up security for something, like a payment right now. And here's like a ring with the same thing. Uh, I think there's a picture there and it's the same, uh, the seal, but now it's on the ring. And this would be like a payment. And what, what God is saying through his word and the role that Christ does is not only does he seal you, you belong to him, but it is the picture and the promise that you're getting part of eternity here and now in the person of the Holy Spirit. Not fully, we're not in eternity right now. We're, we're here on this earth, Right? in all of its trouble, and all of its greatness, and all mixed bag of it all, but it's the same, like you have the Holy Spirit to help you, which is a sign that I'm with you and I will be with you forever. It's a deposit of what is to come. And the deposit reminds us of the forgiveness we've been given. The deposit reminds us of the acceptance that we've been given, of the redemption, of the forgiveness of God's choosing. And Paul is describing all of this in chapter one. Being rooted in something that's beyond the weeds or beyond the scattered roots that we see in this world. When you root yourself to God and in the fullness of him, and the father, the spirit, and the son, in the fullness of him, you can dig deep and you can stand strong because those roots never fade. They never shrivel. They go on into forever. So I want to close, and I'm going to go through this quickly, but I think this is, is helpful, and it's the, the so what. So you could just read uh, verses 1 through 14 and then be like, well, well, great. This is like great, right? That's what you think, like great. I can say it four times. Great, right? Like what do you do? Well, Paul, for the rest of the chapter, says, everything that I've said is completely true. It's the word of God. This is your identity for all who believe. This is who you are for all who believe. And then he goes on to explain why that's important. And it's actually a prayer. And so in closing, I wanna talk and describe a prayer for us this year, Ridgeview Church, the gathering of the people that he's chosen, that he's called. And... Paul's prayer is the same for us and that that we would understand the greatness of God's plan. You put that up on the screen, the greatness of God's plan. In verse 17 through 18, I'm gonna read this again. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So what he's saying is, just like I've gone through quickly, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of Christ the Son, the blessings of the Holy Spirit, eternal blessings made to you here and now and to us in the church that you may actually understand it. Not just understand like intellectually, understand it in your heart. Why does he pray? That the, heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, not your mind. Why? Because your heart is like the cockpit of your life. It's where the thinking and the feeling and the ideas like in your gut, that you'll know this is true. Not just a romantic, fleeting feeling, but in your gut, in your heart. Because if you know that this is true and you have these treasures, you have these roots that you can connect with, you will be anchored for the rest of your life and they will go on into forever. What Paul's saying is this is life changing. But you need to know God's plan for you. And the plan is part of this this calling and it's to know God, like that's your plan The plan from him is to know him and to make him known, to actually spend time with him, to learn from him, to allow him to to lead you. And it's really all about identity. It's very interesting if you look at our culture right now, aren't we so concerned with our identity? Everyone's trying to figure out who they are and what do people do? They try to define themselves. You actually cannot define your identity. Why? Because God Has already predetermined who you are. And because of that, you're beautiful. Now, not in like the unmanly sense, all of you guys are like, eh, that's, I don't really like that. It's beautiful in the sense of like, you're made from God by God. You have so much value. Every human does because they're made by God. Nobody can take that away. And He's given you an identity who you are, your personality, your makeup, your wiring. Even in your imperfections, he can still use you. And Paul's saying, like, don't forget this plan that he has. Now, you see this wording of the called. Again, it's that the chosen, those that decide to follow him. Now, you may be hearing, you're like, I don't know if I'm called by God. I don't know if I belong to him. I don't know what to do. Well, the idea is, are you ready to give your life to him, to do what he says, to allow him to call the shots in your life? You can make that decision. And you become a part of God's people here and now, the called out ones. And so that's Paul's prayer that we'll know this plan that he has. But it's not just the greatness of his plan to make him known and to know him and to walk with him. Uh, It's also that we know the greatness of his power. Verse 19, I love this verse. So that we'll know his plan, that our hearts will be able to see. And then, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul, in this one verse, is describing power in four different ways. The idea is, have you ever been so overwhelmed by something that you don't even know how to communicate it? You need to, you know, like, let's just use the example of your kids. Like, you need to listen. You need to open your ears. You need to make sure that there's something going on here. You open and listen and hear. And it's like, you don't know how else to just say, this is very important. You better listen, right? Paul is saying the same thing. There is power that you can know that he doesn't quite know even how to get the point across. So he's saying, what is the immeasurable greatness? That's one word for power where we get the word dynamite from. Explosive greatness of God that he gives to you. Of his then power, another word, he uses four different words. Toward us who believe according to the working, another translation of power, of his great might. Might. And he's just saying, you get this power that's given to you, this immutable power that's been endowed to you that will make a difference in your very life. And then I think of like my own life and I'm just like, man, I just wish I had power. And Paul's saying, wake up, Alex, you have power. Well, what, what power do I have? Remember that part about how Christ redeemed you? How he forgave you, why did he do that? how did he do that? He died on the cross. But then how did that work? He rose again. And so Paul's just saying, like, remember the redemption I've talked about, the forgiveness I've talked about, the choosing of God, the acceptance. Remember all of that I've talked about? You're going to forget. And then you're going to fail. And you're going to think it's about you. And you're trying to earn God's favor again. You try to please other people. You try to earn their favor. And you keep trying to build yourself up because we live with this deficiency. What Paul is saying is, listen, you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You have that. And then you start to think, well, that's great. I can get anything I want. No, you can't. That's not this kind of church. No, you can't. Why? Because the prayer is that you'll know the fullness of his plan. It's not about you and getting what you want. It's the plan he's given you, the calling out specifically to you to make a difference in this world, a great purpose for your life. Because once you know the plan, then you know the power that he gives you is to support the plan that he has for you. I look around our world, people are so aimless. We're so lost. We're searching for identity. We're longing for meaning. And the church is here to say, rise up church. We've been given immeasurable roots and treasures in the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and our Father. And we have power to change the world because of those riches. It's amazing. It's earth-shattering. It's hard to even describe. But that's Paul's prayer, that we'll know the greatness of his plan, that we can live for him and our life will forever be different. And through that, we'll have the greatness of his power And I was thinking like, you know, the power to actually restore brokenness. Like that's a heart. like I have, I want to restore brokenness in relationships that I've experienced and been a part of, some of which I've done. Like I've broken people. I want to be a part of like the restorative work of Christ in that. I want to be part of restoring brokenness in our community, in our church, in our families. And then the power to overcome like addiction. Do you feel like you're stuck with certain areas in your life and you can't get past it? And you keep wanting to change and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it gets so frustrating. And you hear someone like myself talk about power and you're like, I don't experience that. But part of his plan is that we'll see that this power with God's help can actually help us overcome the things that we've never been able to overcome. And it's not because of us and what we do, it's because of him and his work in the church. Not as individuals, but collectively together. It's real power. And then the final prayer of Paul is that we'll understand the greatness of his person, and the person is speaking specifically towards Christ, that we'll understand who Christ is. Christ has to be our focal point. Why? Because without Christ, there is not forgiveness. There isn't the redemption. We're still chained, but because of Christ, the chains have been broken. We're forgiven, and we can fully know through Christ being chosen by God, being accepted by God and God adopting us. So Paul is saying like, you need to know his plan. He has a plan for you in this world, here and now. And that plan goes on to forever because you can know him forever. And so it goes on. And then part of that is is that you'd know this, this power that he gives, this help. Again, deposited the Holy Spirit, the help and the power he gives right now. And ultimately, that we'd really understand who, who Christ is in verse 21. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's talking about Christ. What he's saying is there is nothing that has more authority than Christ. There's no person there's no government, there's no ideas, there's no philosophy, there's no science, there's no psychology, there's no psychiatry, there's no career, there's no field, there's no thought. You get what I'm saying? There's nothing. Paul's saying everything is underneath the authority of Christ. So that means that we have to put Christ above all because he already is so we have to align with that. We have all we need. We don't need to search uh, for more. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm, I'm still searching for more, right? It's like, just doesn't seem like enough. And part of that is because I forget the riches of the roots that I have in Christ, and then I fail. And then I think it's about me, and then when it's me, I go on the search to find what I'm looking for. This is really the history of humanity. But what Christ is saying in this first chapter is there is something that God has done before you were even born that can calibrate and direct your life to make a real difference. And then it ends with verse 22. Put that up on the screen for me. I think it's up there. Is it not? Okay, I'll read it. Pull out my handy-dandy ESV illuminated scripture journal. I don't get a commission from them, by the way. (laughs) It ends with verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, describing the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to end with that because this is really what this series is about. It's that God is doing something in his fullness and in his plan and in his power that happens in this church, that happens in the church when people are gathered, that doesn't happen anywhere else. If you're a part of the church that's built on the cornerstone, like we sang, of Jesus Christ, there is a fullness that you can experience there that you can't experience anywhere else. You want to experience that fullness in the world. In the church is something unique. If you guys are like wondering, the band's coming up. It was like, what's, he's talking about the church and they're all leaving, right? But there is something very significant, that can't be described through anything else that happens in the church. And that's what we're gonna be talking about throughout this series. What can God do in this group, here and now, Ridgeview Church, where we can experience the fullness of Christ and that people on the outside looking in can see the fullness of Christ? My hope is that this will be life-changing for people. This will be life-changing for you and life-changing for me I'm really excited to dig into this series. So the idea of hope, the hope of our calling, the hope of God's plan, the hope of his power, the hope of Christ, all of this is the hope which anchors us. So I just want to give you a few thoughts as I close. Uh, First, if you're discouraged today, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it's like nothing more discouraging than admitting that. Discouragement is very real. I can battle discouragement. I can have the greatest day, and the next day I'm like down. I'm discouraged. For pastors, a lot of times it happens on Monday. But life can be very discouraging. Sometimes when you experience discouraging, you can really get into a dark place. And then that discouragement can turn into depression. And you just you feel really alone. What I encourage you to do is read Ephesians chapter one again. And ask, what does this say about me? If this is true, who am I? What has God done? And what you begin to see is like. I am discouraged, but I need to actually stack the discouragement up against the reality that I've been told about who I am. This is a battle of identity. You have to fight that because it's very easy to have the wrong identity about yourself. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling with discouragement, depression, cynicism, if you feel like you're chasing something you don't have, ask God to speak to you from Ephesians chapter 1. Number two... Uh, if you've never committed your life to Christ, I was talking a lot, really, to God's people today, the church. And you may be here, and you're like, I don't know. I don't, these people seem kind of normal. They had donuts. We won't have them next week, sorry. But you are here. And so you may be just thinking, well, what does this mean for me? Well, one of the things is, that's a great question. What does that mean for you? Have you, yourself, decided to put your roots into this God I've described. Are you willing to learn more about him, to decide, has he chosen you? Has he accepted you? Does he have a plan for your life? You have to wrestle with this because all of your identity and your eternity, in fact, hinges on what you do with this truth. And so I I urge you to consider your life and who you're living for. That's the second thing. And then the third, maybe, just maybe, God wants you to give hope to somebody else. If you have his hope, and you have the fullness, of what is promised? His power, his plan, and the person of Christ. If you have that hope, are there people in your life who you can give that hope to? To encourage them, to pray for them, to listen to them, Ask them how they're doing, and maybe by one chance, they'll tell you actually what's going on. Could God use you to give hope to somebody? Because if Christians can't give hope based on the treasures and the roots that we have, there is no hope to be found on this life. But if this is true, and we have these treasures, and these roots are this deep, may God make us people who give this hope to others. So, cynical, depressed, discouraged, read God's word, Ephesians chapter one. Not sure where you stand? Investigate, ask questions. You may be at a point where you're ready to become a Christian. I'm ready, come to the next step table. We'll we'll walk you through how you can become a Christian. Give your whole life to him. And then three, give hope to somebody. Pray, God, will you help me give hope to somebody this week? See what God does. Now, watch out, because it may not be who you pick, but he will do it. Let's pray together. Oh, real quick. Sorry. Sorry. Um, There are a couple next steps. I've I've described a bunch, but buy that scripture journal, and then I want to encourage you to come back next week. Today, we talked about being rooted in hope. Next week is being rooted in grace. Hope and grace. I hope you'll join us next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of these promises, these treasures, which we can chew on, which we can cling to, which we say before you, yes and amen. We agree for all the people here who have followed you. We know this is true because your Holy Spirit has sealed us and we have the promise. We have your help. God, I just pray for anyone here who's discouraged, who's searching for something more. God will help you help them to see that you have everything that they need. You have life, you have forgiveness, and you have redemption. God, I just pray right now that you will open our eyes to see the hopeless around us, the discouraged, the defeated. God, will you give us encouragement and love that represents you? Help us to be a ray of hope for those who need it in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.